Well, Happy New Year, Christ Journey. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. So good to see you. So good for you to join us online and for inviting us in. So good to see the Gables campus today, my people, my crew. So glad to be with you today. And uh, I just want to welcome Happy New Year. I mean, this is, we're, we're finally past 2020. Anyone feeling good to be in 2021? <laughs> feeling good. I, uh, does anyone still pick like a, a word or a theme for the year? Is that still a thing? Any, anyone do that this year? Couple, a couple people? Uh, I, I did something for the very first time this year that I've never done. I picked a, a verse for the year. I felt like with everything that we just went through in 2020 and I don't know about you, but all the ways in which I got spun up and was trying to stay focused on my true north and constantly needing to reorient my compass, I thought, you know, I'm going to pick a verse that I can just rely upon and fall back upon whenever I sense myself beginning to spiral. I, I don't know if any of you feel in that place as well, but I found myself quite a few times this past year on the verge of spiraling. And so um, Psalm 143.8 came to my attention, and I want to share with you. It simply says this, let me hear of your unfailing love each morning, for I am placing my trust in you. Show me where to walk. I give my life to you. I need that this year. I need, I need God this year, not, not me, but I need God to remind me every morning of his unfailing love. No matter what happens. No matter what befalls us this year, I need to know of God's unfailing love anew for me each morning. And I need God to show me where to walk. Because I, I find myself trying to walk different directions that sometimes are moving toward God and sometimes are just moving toward wherever I see best fit. But I need God to show me where to walk. And it starts by giving God my life. You show me where to walk. You show me where to go this year in 2021. I need God to show me where to go. And it reminds me of this, of this great lyric written by my favorite artist of all time, John Foreman. He wrote this lyric in a song called The Blues, which asked this question, and I think it's fitting for the first Sunday of 2021. It says, is this a new year or just another desperation? Wow. <laughs> what a question. What, what, a, what a poignant question for the first Sunday of 2021. Is this a new year or just another desperation? Man, 2020 was hard. And I'm glad it's over. But if, if we're really honest, I got to ask you the question. How will 2021 be any different? I mean, really. How will this year be any different than the last year, if the pandemic ends this year and some semblance of pre-COVID normalcy returns to our lives, will that really be enough to wipe the slate clean on your anxiety and on your fears this year? Will that really be enough? As we begin a new year with all of the hope and all of the potential that every new year pledges to bring, we gotta ask ourselves, will this really be a new year where God does a new thing in our life? Or will this year be the same old year with the same old desperations? Pandemic, no pandemic. Will this year be a new thing? Today we begin a new series. And for a new year, about new life, discovered through the most unlikely way. 
through the act of worship. And specifically today, we're going to look through the act of sacrifice. In fact, what I'm going to talk about today, quite honestly, I mean, it's just, it goes, it's, it's so countercultural. It goes against how, how we often hear we ought to live our lives. And if I'm totally honest, it goes against how I even live my life. I think for most of us, the, the act of sacrifice, when we think about it, it corresponds to, to negative words like loss or pain or even death. When we think about the word sacrifice when it comes to the religious institution, we think about old and antiquated and outdated and irrelevant. My hunch tells me that whenever sacrifice crosses our mind, our inclination toward self-preservation immediately kicks in. Like we don't want to, <laughs> we don't want to make sacrifice. We want to protect ourselves and guard ourselves and guard what we own and guard those around us. Sacrifice and happiness typically don't make good dance partners, do they? We typically don't equate one with the other. Yet I'm standing before you today and in fact, all of us are sitting here today because somebody else made a sacrifice for us, right? I mean, I can't help but to think about sacrifice and think about my mom. My mom was a single parent when I, I was five years old. She became a single mom. And I can't help but to think about the time, the energy, the pleasures and happiness, that the personal happiness that she sacrificed on the altar of helping my brother and I live the kind of life that we otherwise wouldn't have if she hadn't made those sacrifices. We're sitting here today in a room doing this, having church, because quite frankly, tens of thousands of men and women over the centuries thought it fit to give their last full measure to defend our freedom to do this. Each one of you have stories of Men and women in your life who have made sacrifices of their time, of their abilities, of their resources in order to help you soar higher than you otherwise would have done on your own. When we think about sacrifice, it always means a sense of loss, but simultaneously it opens our future and a pathway to new life. What if those individuals who made those sacrifices had decided to choose a different path, where would we be? I bet if we asked any one of those people who made a sacrifice for you, if they would do it again, I bet you a thousand times over they would say yes. If you asked my mom, would you have sacrificed all that you did in order for your sons to have a different life? I bet my mom would say absolutely. I would do it, I would do it a million times over. And here I'm reminded of a passage in Ephesians that reads, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Now, how did Jesus bring us into God's family? He did so by offering his own life as a sacrifice. And do you know what the crazy part is? The very next sentence in this verse says this, and this is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure to do it. I mean, how amazing that God offered the sacrifice of his son and gave everything for us so that we may live with him forever. And that's what God wanted to do. And God would do it infinitely times over for us to enjoy true and real life with him forever. While sacrifice, on the one hand, always means loss. Always means loss. It always means a kind of pain. On the other hand, sacrifice also means new life. 
It also means a new future and a new beginning. In Jesus, new life was made possible for every single one of us because Jesus' life came to an end so that ours could begin. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, Paul wrote, the new creation has come, the old life is gone, the new is here. The new, the new is here. Jesus opened a new way for all of us to live by modeling a life marked by sacrifice. The Apostle Paul, in fact, picked up on this, on what Jesus did and the sacrifice that he made and instructed all of Jesus' followers to follow Jesus' way. In the book of Romans, he spends 11 chapters talking about the, the theological points of what it means that God did what he did for us through Jesus, through his son, Jesus Christ. And then in, in chapter 12, he makes this radical turn and offers an ethic of how each one of us may live our lives according to this way. And he wrote this, Therefore, in light of everything that Paul just wrote in the 11 previous chapters, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, it's the million-dollar question in Christianity of what, what is God's will for us? What, what does God want for you? It's the question that everybody asks. What does God want me to do? And if you want to begin to understand what God's will for you is, it starts by us offering our life as a living sacrifice, letting the renewal of our mind take place, which means renewal starts here. We talk, talk a lot about heart renewal, but this is really the ground for renewal. And then we're able to begin to understand, and we're even told to test it, to test God, to really lean in and understand what does God want for us. In view of God's mercy, Jesus washed the scorecard permanently clean. Amazing. You know, in religion, it's often a tit-for-tat kind of thing. You know, we want to make sure that we've got the good stuff outweighing the bad stuff. But here, it's the exact opposite. It's, there is none of that. There's no scorecard. If there's a scorecard, it would just have Jesus' name written in it. Because now the Father, when the Father sees you, and this is really, this is the good news of our faith. When the Father sees you, he only sees Jesus. How amazing. That's good news. I mean, that's good news. Grace and mercy are two sides of the same coin. Grace is the act of receiving an undeserved gift. But mercy is equally as important as grace. Mercy is the withholding of what we do deserve. Earlier in the book of Romans, Paul talks about how the wages of sin is death. What we actually deserve for going our own way is death. And death there means forever being separated from God. But in mercy, God withheld that. Because in love, God desires you. To live with you. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus is mercy. Mercy is not receiving what you do deserve. You know, it makes me think about, uh, anyone play Super Mario? I mean, I, I'm like from the Super Mario generation. 
Man, I'm proud of that. Super Mario, man. 16-bit. None of that, like, online stuff. Just give me the old stuff. Give me the good stuff. Come on, man. And uh, I don't know about you, but in Super Mario, I was always envious of my friends who could unlock the infinity code on the controller. You know, the up, down, up, down, A, B, A, B, up, down, up, down. You, you did it. Man, I, I would have been so jealous of you, man. Seriously, I, I, could, I could never do it. I could never figure out how to do it. Like, you had to, like, punch them all simultaneously and get it. In. And then when you did it, like, Mario had infinite lives and you could play the game without stopping, no matter how many times he died. You know, in, in a very real way, that's what Jesus did. Man, Jesus unlocked the mercy code for every single one of us. And not only that, but gives us everything in response. In Jesus, we not only received the withholding of something, but we're also now given everything, every bit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. It all belongs to you. And then at the end of that verse, it's so crazy. Paul then says, and against these things, there is no law. Which means you can have as much of that stuff as you want. All of that in abundance. And so in 2021, what fruit do you need? Do you need more peace? Then ask for it. That's, that's a promise. Do you need more patience? Then ask for it. Self-control? It's yours. This reminds me of what Paul wrote elsewhere, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Every promise is a yes in Jesus. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. When you say amen to receive that promise, it's all for God's glory. And God wants nothing more than to open those floodgates for you to receive more and more and more in abundance. And sometimes that more can be extrapolated in all kinds of material things. Because again, like we can't help but to see that stuff through our own cultural lens. But the more that God is talking about is the more stuff that we actually want and need. It's more love. It's more joy. It's more peace, more patience, all of that. That's all more for you. God said yes to every promise for you, even when we said no, because the faithful love of the Lord never ends, wrote the prophet Jeremiah. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning. And it is through this, in view of God's mercy, Paul wrote, that followers of Christ offer your bodies as a living sacrifice in response to this truth and good news, which is a holy and pleasing sacrifice to God. You know, in the days when Paul wrote this letter, Jewish law mandated all different kinds of animal and plant sacrifices, many, many different kinds. You can read about them in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. It's really fascinating because all of them are really, honestly, they're allusions to what Jesus eventually did for us. And here in this passage, Paul picks up on that. He's writing to a group of people who are thinking this way. And he picks up on this motif, but he completely turns it upside down. And he says, basically, since Jesus fulfilled the purpose for why those sacrifices once existed, now in this new reality, the only kind of sacrifice that matters is us living our life in such a way that bears witness to what God did for you in Jesus. That's all that matters. The only thing that matters. 
In fact, following Jesus' death, historical evidence shows that from the time that Jesus died around 30 AD, like sometime in the early 30s, give or take a couple of years, until the time of the destruction of, of the Jerusalem temple in AD 70, every, every Jewish believer who followed Jesus stopped the practice of temple sacrifice, which would have been, I mean, that's extreme. That's about 2,000 years of momentum, of historical momentum pushing you to this. And these people said, what happened on the cross is, satisfies all sacrifices. That was the final, ultimate atoning sacrifice for my sin and for what was represented in any animal or plant that I could, I could, I could have offered on the altar. What Jesus did, that's what set me free. That's incredible. And Jesus calls his followers now to live our lives in life, to offer our life as a living sacrifice in life to the God of life. This, Paul writes, is your true and proper worship. So what in the world does this look like? <laughs> I mean, that, that's a, I mean we, when you hear it, it, it's like, yes. But then you think about what tomorrow morning, <laughs> when, when you're back awake again in the chaos of life, of family, relationships, work, of just everything coming your way, and, and then all of a sudden, wow, what does this actually mean for me to offer my life this way? True worship, the kind that delights God and lifts our eyes above sea level and into faith level becomes fully expressed when we walk each day in this way and let our life be the yes and the amen to, to what Jesus promised to us. What if you viewed everything that you do as an act of worship? I mean, what a strange question, I think. I, 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 I wrestle with this question. Every single day I wake up in the morning and I think, how in the world do I do this? I mean, what does this mean for work? Does it mean be churchy at work? Be churchy at school? Sing, you sing, like spontaneously sing? I mean, what does that really mean? I think, what, I think we'll actually, we could gain some insight by peeling back the layers of the word that Paul used, actually, for this word that translates as worship. In Romans 12.1, he used this word called latreia. This is a really important word. If you find this word anywhere in Scripture, it's always translated to worship. And so it's translated properly. But the underlying meaning behind it and how it came to be translated as worship is really fascinating. It used to mean to work for hire or for pay. And it was the, it was the word that was used for voluntary laborers who would who would work for their, for their managers, and it would represent them giving their whole strength to their, to their work. Their whole strength. Over time, the term came to mean quite generally to serve, and then it evolved eventually into how we know it now, which means that to which one gives one's whole life. So it started as bringing your whole strength your whole body to your work came to mean that to which you devote your whole life. And now in the Bible, whenever we read this word, it always refers to a person's devotion to God, whole devotion. When we read the word like this, all of a sudden it takes on this much wider and much deeper context, doesn't it? 
This definition of worship uh, simply goes beyond what happens in these four walls. And now it extends into everything we do. What we do on Sundays matters. This matters so much for the building up of community, for the building up of one another. I think about Hebrews, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. This is what we're doing right now is vital for our faith. Our time holds great significance for the being in the presence of of Christ's body in the world. But our, our call to worship, our call to Latreia, that, that means everything. That's everything. That's our full devotion. You're not your own, Paul wrote. You were bought at a price. So therefore, honor God with your bodies, with your whole strength, with everything you are. Our lives no longer belong to us because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Rather, what Jesus did with his own life bought us back from the consequences of sin and now makes us part of God's family. We belong to God now. You, whenever you place your trust in Jesus, that makes you now part of God. I want to address two areas in particular that I I think have great significance and how we devote ourselves to God. I, we, when we think about devoting our whole life, that's everything. It's our relationships, it's our, it's our family, it's our recreation, it's everything. But I think two areas of focus in particular, especially for guys, really lands on work and our thoughts. What we do in our work life and what we do in our thought life bears significance and how we devote our lives to God and all that we do. And so I want to ask a question of you this morning. How might your work be viewed as an act of worship? How might every collegial action that you make in the office, supervisory session, how might every profit and loss report, every inventory count, every board meeting, department meeting, every team huddle, every tension, every conflict, every time you take out the trash, how might that all be viewed as an act of worship? Because I suspect that for, for most of us, it's, it's separate. What happens at work typically stays at work, and then what happens in our faith life happens there, but the two very rarely ever really overlap. But what would it look like if it did? What would your life look like if your work became an act of devotion to God? And for that, I want to tell a story. For a couple of years, I met with a friend of mine who shared with me about a really difficult situation that he had with a colleague. And I think we've all been there, <laughs> right? I think we've all had those moments where we've just had difficult interpersonal connections with our colleagues. And for my friend in particular, it really, it led him to dread going into the office. And oftentimes he even couldn't sleep at night because he knew that as soon as the morning would come, it would mean that he would have to wake up and deal with this individual. And so rather than confronting this man, which he suspected would create some more tensions, especially since this individual didn't report to him, it was a fellow colleague, he thought, rather than going that route, I'm going to heed to this small stirring in my heart, which at the time was telling him to just simply be patient. Just be patient. Not be patient for this or be patient for that, but just 
be patient, and instead show up, go to work each morning, deal with the colleague as you need to, but don't necessarily create more conflict. Instead, just let your character shine forth, as difficult as that was for him at the time, and quite honestly, as little sense as it made. And he feared at the time. I remember him telling me that he feared how his other colleagues would would view him. He wondered if whether or not he was showing too much self-restraint, if maybe he ought to be a little bit more aggressive. But at the end of the day for him, what he was sensing and what he would call the spirit moving in him was to simply be patient. In fact, he, he looked at, he shared with me that he was taking great courage from Colossians 3.23, which if you don't know this verse, I highly commit it to you. It says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. And he took great confidence in that verse. And even though he was, obviously he was respecting his leaders and his managers and all of that, he began to make a shift where he started viewing his work as an offering to Jesus. He began to see his work as working for Jesus' pleasure. And he would do whatever he needed to do, but, but ultimately for him, he just kept thinking, I'm just going to do this for Jesus, and I'm going to be patient. I'm going to remain steadfast. Fast forward about a year. This went on for about a year. He told me that over time, he began to experience something very surprising, began to take shape in his life. He began to experience a very rare and unforeseen kind of joy in going to work. Not as though he was necessarily having fun all the time, but rather than being racked by so much confusion or hardship and his heart aching and keeping him awake at night, instead what he began to experience was a personal kind of joy that he never anticipated. He still had the colleague issue. He still had those same dynamics existing in the office. But what changed was how he viewed his work. He began to view it as an act of worship to Jesus. And he led forth in his character. His managers actually took notice that in the midst of all of this, that this guy in particular was hanging in there. (laughs) That he wasn't aggressive and coming off strong against everybody. And so his managers took notice. They saw his character. And when the next opportunity for a promotion came up, he got it. Certainly wasn't what he he was expecting. Trust me. I mean, he he didn't do this for the sake of a promotion. He didn't say, I'm going to keep leaning in so that if the opportunity ever arose, I I would be head and shoulders above the next guy. He just did this. He remained steadfast because he was heeding that still small voice that was simply saying, be patient, do this for me. Now, promotions aren't promised when you do this. But do you know what is promised? Joy is promised. Peace is promised. When we offer our lives in our work, patience is promised. Kindness toward others, love is all promised to you when we show up and we say this isn't about the people in this room who even are seeking to steal my own joy, but this is about the one to whom I'm dedicating my whole life. This is about my Latreya. This is about me bringing my whole strength. 
And that's one story of many. And one story out of many among you. Whether you're seeing patients mowing lawns, writing the perfect macro formula, changing diapers, or attending school, whatever you might be doing, your work is a profoundly spiritual and worshipful act. Don't think of it as anything else. It's a way of caring for those who depend on us, of contributing to the world around us, and of worshiping in the God who created you to flourish in your work. It's toil on the one hand, yes, but God desired you to flourish in it and for you to contribute something with your hands through it. Martin Luther, who initiated the reformation of the Catholic Church into the church that we know of today, once said the Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. In whatever you do, the integrity, character, and quality in which you conduct your work all speaks to the integrity, character, and quality of our God. And while the good news of our faith demands that we speak, the good news of our faith also demands and requires of us that we approach our work with that perspective, as Latreia, showing up with our whole strength, and trusting that God's work in us and God's spirit will bear the forth the fruit that we desire. For additional resources on this, if you're, if, if you're stuck in this, if, you're, if you feel like you're kind of stuck in the rat wheel, for more information on this, I would encourage you to go to the Global Leadership Summit or go to Made to Flourish. There's some wonderful theology and wonderful words dedicated to this. But the second thing I want to talk about for just a moment is how might your thoughts be considered an act of devotion as an act of Latreia worship? Because I don't know about you, but for me, that's where the battle rages. <laughs> right here in, in like the four inches between my ears. I mean, this is where the battle takes place. And what, in fact, whenever I'm not careful, it's, it's amazing the power of a single thought, whether true or not, of how it can shape the course of not only my entire day, but even even days or weeks. It's amazing the power of a single thought. But over and over and again, the witness of God's word calls us to pay attention to our thoughts. The very next verse in Romans 12 too says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, pleasing will. Renewal starts here. We talk a lot about this, the heart, but this is where renewal begins. And it stands as the gateway to understanding God's perfect, pleasing, his pleasure giving, and his complete will for you. At the end of his letter to the Philippian church, Paul wrote, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is lovely and admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Fill your mind with these good things. Because there are so many other things, true or not, that want to steal what's happening right here. Fill your mind with those powerful ideas. We demolish every argument, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. It's one of my favorite verses. I love this image of literally, I have this image in my mind of taking captive your thoughts and making them obedient to Jesus. That's you in control of your thoughts, not somebody else or something else, but you in control of your thoughts and putting them onto the foot of the cross for Jesus to redeem. 
Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment from which we then love our neighbor as ourselves. It starts, my friends, right here. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober. I love that, like fully awake, fully engaged. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Be made new in the attitude of your minds. This is where renewal begins. This is where the war rages and where the battles happen, right here for your mind. And I face this every hour of every day. Even last night, I mean, I'll be totally honest with you. Last night, I even woke up around, I think it was like 2.37 in a nightmare. I mean, this is where the war rages. And whenever I find myself in a place where I'm being distracted or being taken down a path where I know at the end of it, the result will be that I am further away from my Lord and more angst in here. I simply, what I do is no matter what I'm doing, even if I'm, whether I'm in my office, whether I'm on a walk, I just stop for a brief few seconds. I take a breath. I imagine myself literally taking captive of that thought, placing it at the foot of the cross, and then I just whisper a simple prayer that says, Jesus, I'm yours. I'm yours. This won't, I'm not going to let this take me away from you. I'm yours. And at that point, the Spirit takes over and gets me through the next few minutes, <laughs> the next hour, until it happens again. And then I take a deep breath. Jesus, I'm yours. I'm yours. Let me encourage you to do the same. Pause. Breathe. Captive. Jesus, I'm yours. Jesus, I'm yours. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory with Christ's spirit alive in you and mercy reigning where sin once used to. All things are possible, amen? Even the possibility of your mind staying engaged with the Lord. The answer, the, this isn't, it's not a secret. The answer isn't a secret. And so my question to you is, will this be a new year where God does a new thing in you, where, where something new happens for you, for your family, or will this be the same old year with the same desperations? Pandemic, no pandemic. Will this be a year of something new? Resist the constant urge to conform to the whirlwind of our culture, but instead be transformed. The same word there is the same word used of Jesus' transfiguration. Let your mind be transfigured. And the difference between doing a new thing in you this year and the same old desperations is what you're willing to sacrifice. That's the difference. And it doesn't all happen at once. It happens over a continual process. It happens by just simply devoting ourselves to God a little bit more, trusting for God's spirit to come alive in us a little bit more, spending just a few more seconds, another verse in God's word, just a few more seconds in prayer. Jesus, I'm yours. Staying close together. 
together. And if you're joining us online, staying with us, even online, no matter how you might be joining us, staying together as Christ's body in the world, trusting for God's spirit to unite us in a way that extends beyond our wildest imaginations for God to do something new in us this year. Let's pray for something new in 2021. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you for going all the way to the cross for us and showing us mercy for withholding what we deserve and instead opening a new way of life through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. A new way to live with you, to grow with you from now into forever. A new way to experience your continual presence with us by the power of your spirit made alive in us, to experience your fruit bearing forth in us. God, thank you. We praise you. We give you all of our worship, all of our devotion, all of our latreia. Let me hear of your unfailing love anew for me each morning, for I am placing my trust in you. Show me where to walk this year. I give you my life. God, we need you. We need you. We don't want another year with the same old desperations. We want something new to take place in us this year. And so we're inviting you to lead us in 2021. Lead us anew as we make our prayer together in the name of your son. Now, if you want this year to be a new year for you, whether you're joining us here in the room or online, if you want this year to be a new year for you where you decide to take your first steps of faith with Jesus for the very first time, then I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. God, I need you. For far too long, I've been holding my own way and all it's done is create this sense of anxiety and turmoil in me. I can't release it on my own. And so God, I'm turning away from where I used to go and I'm coming to you. Receive me, forgive me of my sins. I'm trusting in you. Take my hand and lead me into this new year. I need you. And I'm receiving your son, Jesus Christ, today as my Lord and Savior. Show me where to walk. I'm giving my life to you. If you prayed this prayer with me today, in this room or online, then I just want to invite you to simply raise your hand wherever you might be. And let today be your first confession. Thank you. Your first step. Thank you. And online, if you're taking that first step, then simply put it in the chat. And there are people there waiting to come alongside of you, to pray with you, and to help you take some more next steps as you get to know Jesus is your Lord and Savior. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for this opportunity to gather. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made for us so that we may live and have a new life with you. Thank you for the sacrifice of so many others who have helped us along the way. God, may our lives be a reflection of the mercy that you've shown us to others. May we now live that way for others. And let 2021 not be about 
us anymore, but be about helping others come to experience this saving faith in you. As we make this prayer, in the name of your son, Jesus, who came to save us and give us life forever, amen and amen.